Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. children in a prayer. God is great and God is good. And then we would teach them, and we thank you for the food. But it was that first line that you need to center on. God is great and God is good. You need to know that. That needs to get within your spirit. God is great and God is good. Well, I'm fixing to celebrate some uh, anniversaries in about two weeks, it will be 53 years since I preached my first sermon. And in, in uh, uh, about a, two months, it will be 50 years since I was ordained uh, as a minister. And yet, in all that time, it never ceases to amaze me the way God works and the surprises that He brings. Uh, in fact, after all this time, I still don't have Him figured out. And I'm still trying to learn that whatever he says is correct. Whether I comprehend it, understand it, or think it's the best. So that's where I come to you this morning because I don't understand this one. I, uh, when uh, Steve, Pastor Steve asked me to preach, I was going to do one of the favorites that I do called uh, uh, A Few Days After Easter, since we just moved after. I, I was ready. And then, then I heard a statement from a theologian who said, the problem with today's church is that we're stuck somewhere between the empty tomb and the upper room. And I had that one ready to go. And then I thought maybe I ought to ask the Lord. So uh, I, I, I'm serious. I don't understand this one, but this is what he said. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read beginning with verse 17. We're going to do it in the King James Version, and I'm going to add a little bit because to understand this story, you really have to read Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18 as well. And when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do? What is the one great, grand, great, noble, heroic thing that I can do? that I may inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And one author, gospel writer, adds to it, And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, looked hard in his eyes, loved him, and said unto him, One thing you lack, if you would be perfect, complete, mature, go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasures in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, 
and went away grieved, heavy-hearted, sorrowful. It was the last thing he was expecting to hear, and he was holding on to a lot of things and not about to let go because he had great possessions. He was rich. I want to talk to you about the man who had almost everything. Well, the news from the sport world this week was startling, tragic, heartbreaking. Former NFL star Aaron Hernandez, tied in for the Patriots, commits suicide. He grew up in a city that was once one of the richest cities in the nation and now is a shell of itself, steeped in poverty. It's estimated there are over 140 different gangs in that city alone. Grew up in a home with an absent father who was once known as the King of Bristol because of his criminal activity. Raised by his mother who was a widow and a former bookie and ultimately married another man that was a con man. Been in prison who assaulted her on a regular basis. And yet, with his ability and his excellence in football, Aaron was able to extract himself from that city and go to Miami and go to college. And there were all kinds of signs about gangs and drugs and barroom fights, but with his great ability, there came that magic opportunity in life. A $40 million contract with the New England Patriots. Everything you've ever wanted. The money, the position, the prestige, everything that he could have dreamed about in that poverty, gang-ridden situation that he was in was now his. He had almost everything. And then convicted for a murder, acquitted for two others, Life in prison without the possibility of parole and ultimately committed suicide. And when they looked at the estate this week, it's zero. The only thing of value he had left was his home. It's listed for $1.3 million, which may be enough to pay the legal fees and the civil suits. But in spite of everything, he lost it all. I could talk to you about others. In my parents' day, it was Howard Hughes, billionaire, wealthy, married movie stars, innovator, had almost everything you could ever want, and died a recluse, afraid for anybody to touch him because he might get contaminated. In my day, I could talk to you about Elvis Presley. He had almost everything. Or we could talk about Muhammad Ali, who at the end of his life said, I had the world, and it was nothing. We could talk about Janis Joplin at 27. We could talk about John Belusi at 33. And so many others in this present day that had almost everything. In fact, even the scripture talks about those kind of people. You could, you could go in the Old Testament and talk about David, the shepherd boy, the one rejected by his siblings, that's chosen of God to be the shepherd of all of Israel that comes out of herding the flocks until he arrives at that position of being king over all of Israel. 
wealth, position, wives. He had almost everything, except he couldn't have Bathsheba. And so he took her. And everything that he had was shattered. And a sword came over his house. We could talk about Solomon, his son. For the Bible describes him as having wisdom above any uh, and above everyone else in the land. Wealth, that silver was like stones in Jerusalem. And he had every woman that he wanted, everything that the palace life could offer, the position, the power. He had almost everything. And yet at the end he said it's vanity of vanities and vexation of spirit. Empty and hollow. Meaningless. But that's not the one I want to talk to you about. I want you to go into the New Testament with me and I want you to, to remember this story in Mark chapter 10. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18 as well. And we're talking about a young man. Now, I can't give you his name because the Bible never names him. It just says there was a certain ruler. There was a certain individual that came running to Jesus and kneeled before him. And in order to understand who he is, you have to read all three gospel accounts. First of all, Matthew tells us in verses 20 and 22 of chapter 19 that he was young. And then Luke tells us in chapter 18 verse 23 that he was very rich. And Mark said he had great possessions. And Luke chapter 18 again, verse 18, tells us that he was a ruler. And so when you put all of that together, you don't have his name, but you have the description of who he is. He was the rich, young ruler. He had almost everything. In fact, I want you to notice with me what he had. First of all, he had great possessions, great riches, material wealth, a constant source of money. Or the word also means not money, but property. And so he is a man of means, of great holdings. He's got a bank account. He has stocks and bonds and a 401k. He has all the money that he could possibly ever want. When it said he had great possessions, the word in the Greek is the same word from which we get mega. He had a mega supply. He had sufficiency. He had more than enough. And you say, well, how did he get it? I don't know. He's young. Maybe he, he made wise investments. Maybe he took what he had and had that unique ability of investing it in such a way that it gained. Maybe he bought a piece of property low and sold it high. Or the indication is that maybe he inherited it. Maybe because of his age, it was an inheritance from his parents. We would say he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Well, that's my age. Uh, the, the new statement now is from that quote from that great philosopher Barry Switzer who, who said some people are born on third base and they go throughout life thinking they hit a triple. Uh, that, but, but whatever way, he had everything that money could possibly buy. That's what he possessed, great possessions. He also possessed Physical strength and health. He was young. Uh, what do they call now? Physicality. Uh, somebody made that word up. 
But, but anyway, he had stamina. It, it means that he had health and energy and the exuberance and the excitement of youth. And at my age, I've learned the truth of the statement that youth is a terrible thing to waste on young people. But he had great possessions, and he had great physical strength and health. And besides that, he had a great position. He possessed a position. He was a ruler. That is a term in the Greek that means probably politically. Because the Romans would allow each city to elect their own governor or magistrate or authority. And so he may have been popularly elected by the people or at least appointed by Rome in a political sense over that town. Or it could have meant a spiritual leader. It could have meant that he had a position and authority in the synagogue. But either way, he has a position. He has prestige. He has power. He has authority. He has peer group acceptance. He had community acceptance. He had possessions. He had physical strength. He had a position. Wow. You'd be on the cover of, uh, of, of GQ or QG or whatever it is. He, he would be on the cover of People Magazine, the sexiest man in America. Or maybe Times Magazine's Man of the Year. Or they might have dubbed him in his day the most interesting man in the world. He had almost everything. But he possessed more than that. He possessed principles. He had a moral code of conduct that he lived by. He had character and morality. He was a man not only of wealth, but he was a man of values. He followed the Mosaic law as it related to others. In fact, he told Jesus, I've done all this from the time I was a youth, my youth up. Now, now don't mistake, he's still young. But what he's talking about is I'm a Jew. And at 12 years old, I became bar misfed. I became the son of the law. And when I was 12 years old, I married myself to the law of God. And from that moment, I took the law and bound myself to it. And I have kept these commandments from the time I was 12 years old. So we had this moral code. And it was a pretty good one. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He didn't lie. He didn't defraud anybody. He honored his mother and his father. Ooh, mark that one up, kids. And he treated and loved his neighbor as he loved himself. Here is a man that possessed character, morality, the principles to live by. He treated everyone with respect. He loved and took care of his family. He possessed these principles. And he possessed something else. He had this passionate pursuit for spirituality. He comes running to Jesus. He kneels before the Lord. And this question that's burning within his heart is what is the one great, grand, heroic thing that I can do that will assure me and grant me eternal life? And if I can't do anything to get it, how can I inherit it? How can I merit it? How can I earn it? Or how can it be given to me? What can I do to ensure that I make it to heaven? And so he's possessed with this passion and this passionate concern for eternal things. Wow. Possessions. Physical health and strength. He, he, he's got almost everything. A position. He's got a moral code. Principles that he lives by. 
this passionate desire for the Spirit. And most of all, you know what he possessed? The personal love of Jesus. For Mark says, Jesus looked hard at him. And he liked what he saw. And the Bible says, Jesus loved him. Here is a man that now has the personal love of Jesus. He had almost everything. But to complete the story, you have to know what he didn't have. And the first thing that he didn't possess was peace of mind. He was concerned, troubled, anxious about eternal life. There was no assurance that he was going to make heaven. There was this constant anxiety that maybe I have left something undone. Maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe my moral code is not sufficient. And therefore he didn't have a clear conscience. He had no assurance of the pardon of his sin. And he had no assurance of eternal life. He didn't possess peace of mind. But the greatest thing that he didn't have, he didn't have the right precepts of salvation and eternal life. He didn't have any of the concepts about how to be saved and how to have heaven correct. They were all wrong. Because you see, he had the Jewish concept of salvation. And so the Jewish concept of salvation goes like this. What is the one thing that I can do? And if I do that one thing, that will enable me to earn and to merit and to gain eternal life. It was all centered on him. Because that was the fallacy of the law. The law could tell you that you were a sinner. But the law couldn't save you. Instead of wings to lift you into the presence of God, the law was a weight that burdened you. Because the Bible said no matter how much of the law that you kept, if you offended in one point of the law, then you were guilty of all the law. Amen. Are you with me? In other words, he's saying, I'm a Jew. And the Jew believed that by the works of the flesh... By the keeping, we, we bound ourselves to the law. The, the Bible says, God looked at it and said, if you keep this law, you're blessed. If you don't keep it, you're cursed. And from that point on, they, they tried their best to keep the law. What can I do? It's by the works of myself that I earn. Well, don't look at me like that. There's many, 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 many multitudes of people in the United States that still believe that. That it's my good deeds versus my bad deeds. And that when I stand before God, there's going to be a video replay. God's going to hit the replay and the reset button. And all of my life is going to flash on the video screen. And if the good that I did outweighs the bad that I did, I get heaven. Not by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. If you can be saved by the keeping of the law. If the first covenant, the law, brought righteousness, there was no need for the second covenant. If God's first covenant of the law could have brought you to pardon and salvation and the assurance of eternal life, Jesus would have never had to come. If the law can save you, it empties the cross of its power. You can't be saved by what you do. 
you can only be saved by what he did. And so he had this, this mixed up concept. If I, if I can just do... That, that's a good old boy theology. It's everywhere. I, I hear it all the time at funerals. You know, we don't want anybody to go to hell. I know you haven't heard that word in church in a long time. And so somebody dies and, and the preacher will stand up and say, Well, well, you know, uh, uh, John here was a good old boy. He worked hard. He loved his wife. He took care of his family. He provided for their needs. Now, now, now he drank and gambled and cussed and smoked and caroused, but he was a good old boy. And so he's going to go to heaven. No, your deeds cannot save you. There is no one great grand thing that you can do to bring salvation. By the works of the law, you cannot be justified. And then he had the second wrong concept and precept. He said, well, if I can't earn it, what can I do to inherit it? Now, that's a Jewish concept. Because if I'm born in the right lineage, if I'm born an Israelite, then I am automatically under the covenant relationship that God made with Abraham and God made with Moses. And therefore, because I'm a child of Abraham and I'm under the covenant relationship between God and Moses, I got eternal life. Because God said to Moses, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And one day through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he said to Moses, you're going to be the head not the tail. You're going to lend and not borrow. You're going to be blessed going in and coming out in the fruit of your fields and the fruit of your womb. And Well, I'm an Israelite. That's like saying, well, I'm an American. Duh, preacher. I was born in a little town in Oklahoma. Therefore, I'm a Christian not sitting in church doesn't any more make you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car you, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself God doesn't have any grandchildren just because mama and papa are saved just because grandmother and grandfather were Christians just because you can trace a Christian lineage all the way back for five generations doesn't make you the recipient of eternal life we're all members of the church of the firstborn or we're not members at all and so he had all these wrong concepts of salvation because he was Jewish and so Jesus had to change the concepts so Jesus did it by changing the conversation. Jesus starts by talking to him about his relationship with others. All the commandments that Jesus mentions are the commandments of relationship between individuals. Don't murder, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud. Honor your mother and your father. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the guy said, I got it made. I've done all those. I married myself to that. I became a son of the law at 12 years old and still I'm, I'm young. But all these years I, I practiced that. And then Jesus said, okay, now let's get to your real problem. Because the first commandment is not don't kill, don't steal, don't defraud. But the first commandment, Israel, is to know that the Lord your God is one God. 
And you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. The first important thing is not your relationship with everyone else. It's your relationship with God. And so the Lord is looking at him and saying, okay, now tell me who your God is. Who are you serving? You have to first become conscious of who you're serving, and then you have to make a choice of what God you're going to serve. And Jesus looked at him and said, if you would be complete, perfect, mature, fulfilled, you just lack one thing. You have almost everything. You just lack one other thing. You need to choose to serve the right God. So what I want you to do is to take all of your wealth and all of your possessions and I want you to sell them. And then I want you to learn the, the, the joy of generosity. That it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I want you to go give it to the poor and you won't lose anything. You'll have treasure in heaven. In other words, he's bringing him to the point he has to answer the question of who is my God. Is it God or gold? Because he thought his bank book was his Bible. And what he's serving is gold. What he's serving is his wealth. And the Bible says, do not lay up treasures on earth where thief can come through and steal and moth and rust can come in and destroy. But lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasures are, there is your heart, your love, your affection, your commitment also. And he was in love with his possessions. His possessions possessed him. And Jesus says, and the Bible says the last thing he was expecting to hear. So what Jesus is saying, look, first you have to choose. This is salvation. Choose who you're going to serve. And then you have to give up your natural treasures so that you gain spiritual treasure. And he wasn't willing to give up what he had to get what he didn't have. And then Jesus said, come. Come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You that are anxious about eternal life, you that are unsure of whether you have heaven or not, you come back to me. And then in order to have salvation, you have to take up the cross. Because it is not what you did that brings salvation. It's what I did. For I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He that knew no sin became sin for me. He, he, he that was righteous became sin so that I could know the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took my sins out of the way and nailed it to his own cross. We are redeemed not by corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ as a Lamb of God. We are redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. He offered up one sacrifice for sins forever and was seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Without the remission of uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And Jesus said, if you want eternal life, choose who you're going to serve, then come and take up the cross because God has chosen through the foolishness of cross to save those that believe. The cross is foolishness to the Greek. It's a stumbling block to the Gentile. But to those that believe, it is the power of God. It, it, it is the love of God. It is the salvation of God. It and it alone can bring you into eternal life. 
It's only through the cross of Christ. That's the only way you can be saved. That's really quiet. And then he said, come, get your assurance, take up your cross, and follow me. Be committed to me. You're not committed to the law. You're committed to a person. You're committed to Jesus Christ. And so I want you to come and take up your cross and follow me. And when that happens, then you will have salvation and eternal life. So he didn't possess peace and he didn't possess the right precepts and he didn't possess peace of mind. He went away sad, grieved, heavy hearted. It was the last thing he expected to hear and because he didn't uh, expect to hear it, he wasn't willing to let go. He was holding on to a lot of things and not about to let go. He wouldn't give up in order to get and to gain. He wouldn't make the decision. The Bible says, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth in more than the abundance of things that he possesses. Life is more than meat and drink. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's more than the immediate and the temporal and the natural. It's the eternal. And because he wouldn't let go, then he did not have peace of mind. There was no joy in his heart. There was no praise in his heart. He never experienced the joy of generosity. But the last thing that he didn't possess was the one that's the worst of all. He didn't possess the presence of Jesus. He turns his back and he walks away. The Bible says, in God's presence there's fullness of joy. And in his right hand there's peace forevermore. The only place he's ever going to find assurance. The only place he's ever going to find peace and joy that's unspeakable in the love of God being shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit that is, is in the presence of Jesus. But because he was overwhelmed and sad, he turned and he walked out of the presence of the Lord. Now stay with me. Because there's nowhere in the scripture that the Bible says he ever returned. You, you, you know, if I, were, if I were writing that portion of scripture, I'd write it. Immediately when he turns and decides to walk away from Jesus, I'm going to go after him. And I'm going to say, don't you understand? God's good. Jesus is kind, benevolent, loving, filled with compassion. He, he, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come. You didn't understand him. You're not clear about the precepts. It's not as black and white. He, he really didn't mean what he said. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel guilt for your sin. I don't want you to feel... That's what we do. What we have a Sunday morning. Now, we don't want to make you uncomfortable. We, we don't want you to feel... We don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. Oh, come on. You know I'm telling you the truth. But you know what the Bible says? Without godly sorrow for your sins, you cannot repent. 
It is godly sorrow and the understanding that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that I can't do one thing to merit or earn eternal life and salvation. I can't inherit it from my family. The only thing I can do is repent and come to Jesus. See, the truth, you'll know it and it'll set you free. But usually first it makes you mad. And we would have run after him. We would have stopped him. Because man salvages, but God alone can save. Read the story of the prodigal son. The father stayed home and grew the corn and fed the calf. But he never went to the far country. Because if I bring him back before he's ready, he'll go right back to where he was. I have to wait until he comes to himself. And he comes home on his own. And nowhere in Scripture do you ever read that this young man ever came back to Jesus. You know what he says? It's too hard. It's too hard to be saved. In fact, there are, and I, and I'm, there's three parables in the New Testament about rich people. The first one is this rich young ruler. He's too hard. It's too difficult. Have to give up too much. The next one is a parable about a rich farmer who had multiplicities of crops and barns, and he said to himself, I'm going to tear down those small barns. I'm going to build larger ones. I'm going to rest and take my ease. And the Lord said, Tonight your soul will be required of you. Who shall all these? He was too busy. And then the third parable is about a rich man in hell who lifted up his eyes being in torment and said, Just send Lazarus. Just send that beggar. And let him dip his finger in water and tongue. And if you can't save me, then save my brothers. And so you have a burdened man and a busy man and a buried man. One is too hard. One is too much. And the third one is too late. And some theologians believe that all three parables are about this first young man. That as a youth, it's too hard. He's too burdened. Middle age with all of his wealth, he has too much. He's too busy. And at the end of his life, he's buried. And it's too late. And quickly, you, you know how Jesus ends this? He turns to the disciples and said, It is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man with great possessions to come to salvation. Because as long as he's dependent upon himself, as long as he's dependent upon his self-sufficiency, as long as he's dependent upon his source of wealth, he'll never come to repentance. It's difficult. In fact, if you read Mark 10, notice something. It begins with a blessed man who is spiritually blind, rich and ruler. And it ends with a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus whose eyes are opened by Jesus and he's spiritually blessed. And why Mark put it that way is to talk to you. Because you're either blessed and blind or you've been spiritually blind and now you have the blessings of eternal life. And so, I know you don't have everything. Oh, well, some of you some of you probably have more money than I know you have. Some of you probably have property and wealth 
and material things that I don't know anything about. Some of you might feel like that you're on the verge of having almost everything that you've ever wanted. And so the Lord has two questions for you. The first one is, where's your profit? What if you gained the world in its entirety? What if you gained everything you've ever wanted? What if you arrive at the position you've always wanted to have? What if you have the prestige and the acceptance and the property and the physical health? What if you gain the entirety of your desires and your ambitions and your wants and you lose your own soul? You lose the presence of Jesus. You don't have peace and you don't have eternal life. Where, Jesus said, is your prophet? He said, I want you to become an accountant. I, I, I want you to pull out a ledger sheet. And I want you to put everything that you could possibly gain on one side and put your soul on the other. And if you gain everything and lose your soul, where's your profit? Show me your gain. And then he made a more startling statement that I want to close with. What will you give in exchange? What will you barter? What will you trade? What will you take in exchange for your relationship with God? Because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you know that He's good. And you know that His mercies endure to every generation. And what are you willing to give up your relationship for? Possessions? If I just had that new car, I would be complete. No. The car doesn't complete you. You complete the car. Whether the car costs $500 or $500,000, it can't go from point A to point B without you. It doesn't complete you. You complete it. Well, if I just, well, you get the new car and then you got 72 months of payments. If I just had the new house, you still wouldn't have a home. You just got a building. If I gained all the money that I ever, if I never had to worry about, I wouldn't even have to keep track of my debit card transactions. What are you willing to exchange? If I just had that pleasure. Oh, I know it only lasts 30 minutes or 30 seconds. If I just had sex, if I just had sensuality, if I, if I could just, if I could just have that person. Oh, really? Go read the story in the Old Testament. Uh, their names are Amnon and Tamar. So we'll call them Andy and Tammy. And Tamar is the sister of Andy's half-brother. And she's beautiful. And Andy's got to have her. And he knows it's wrong and ultimately contrives this thing to get her into his house. And, and the Bible said he was filled with, he just had to have her. And when she refuses and retains her morality and her principles, he forces and rapes her. And then the Bible said after he had the moment of pleasure, then he hated it. It wasn't what he thought.
been last. Ultimately, he's killed by his own half-brother after two years of seething anger. You, you think I, some of you think I made that up. You need to read the Bible. And, and what the Scripture says is what if you gained every... What if you get what you've been seeking? What if you get that person you've been chasing? What if you get that possession and that position and prestige and power? And you walk away from your relationship with God. What have you gained? And what are you willing to give? He had almost everything. And wound up with nothing. Jesus loves you. He proved that on the cross. And when he sees you, he sees past what you want and what you have. And he still loves you. And he says, if you'll choose me, if you'll come to me, if you'll take up the cross, follow me. You won't lose anything. You will have gained salvation and peace and eternal life. I want you to stand with me. Almost everything. And yet, without Jesus, without the peace of salvation, the assurance of eternal life, nothing. Uh, There's some of you here today, you're almost. You've heard the truth of God's Word. You've felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You know that if you get what you've been chasing, it's not going to last. And Jesus says this morning, come. Just, Just take up the cross. What I did for you, that's all you need. I've already taken your sin out of the way. I've already forgiven. It's already on. See, it's paid in full. See my hands and my side. It's done. Choose me. Commit to me and everything you think you need, you'll have in me. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Simply calling, come home. Out of the hog field, out of the wasted years, out of the things that don't satisfy. If you'll just come to me and yell. I'm going to put you on the spot this morning because that's what Jesus did to the rich young ruler. He said, you decide. Acceptance or rejection, deal or no deal. Take it or leave it. Ah, Jesus, not like it. Yes, he was. And he looks at you and he loves you, but he says the only way you can have assurance and the only way you can know that you're ready for heaven is to come to me. While every head's bowed for just a moment, God's Holy Spirit's moving. If you're almost, but you don't have peace and assurance of eternal life, where's your profit if you gain what you're looking for? What would you give in exchange for your soul? And if you've never made that choice, 
you've never made that commitment to come, take up the cross and follow Jesus, I, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. You've got to profess Him and confess Him openly before men so that He won't deny you. You need Jesus. You've had almost, but you still need peace and salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Then I'm going to ask you, you haven't made that commitment to come right now, to step out from where you are right now while she's playing and come to Jesus. I'm going to meet you here to pray with you. The, the prayer team is going to meet you here to pray with you. And God's going to usher you into eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. Peace that passes understanding. Joy that's unspeakable. Love that only He can give. I want you to come right now. Would you do it? I need to make a commitment. Almost, almost, almost. I, I need to make this commitment to Jesus. I've never, I've never done it, Brother Bob. I, I've been close, but I've never made this commitment to Jesus. I'm asking you right now in Jesus' name. I beseech you and I plead with you in Jesus' name. Be reconciled to God. Come and find peace and life in Christ. Come right now. Quickly. Quickly. The Holy Spirit's moving. I'm going to close this. Okay, then I want to close like this. Christian friend, I want to talk to you for a minute. What if you get everything you're presently seeking for and it causes you to walk away from your relationship with Jesus what have you gained what are you about to give take receive barter for your relationship a moment's pleasure a possession a position is it worth it? I just feel constrained in my spirit that there's some of you who know Jesus and you're on the verge of giving up something that you can never get back. And you'll walk away from your relationship with Jesus. If that's you, while every head's bowed, if you'd just slip up your hand and say, Brother Bob, I, I've been seeking the wrong things. I'm about to give up the eternal for the natural and the temporal. And I know if I do, it'll cost my relationship. And I want you to pray for me that I won't walk away from His love. And I won't give anything for my soul. I want you just to slip up your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Father, we're so grateful for your presence today. And Lord, I don't understand your workings, but I know you're here. And I know your Holy Spirit is speaking to people. Turn them to you. Don't let them walk away sad and heavy-hearted and grief-stricken. Don't let them accept anything for their relationship with you. Protect them. Build a hedge around them right now. 
the enemy would try to come in like a flood and sweep them away from you. You said that you would lift up a standard against the enemy and put him to flight. I ask you to do that around your people. Hedge them in with your love and your grace and your goodness and the power of your Holy Spirit and keep them. Keep them unto eternal life. Keep them in the center of your peace and your joy. Because it's in you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.